Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. It all takes place at a strip club. Two gangbangers hold up Hester, a drug dealer, and a pregnant teen hostage in the middle of Hurricane Katrina. The great boss has spoken! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man! I'm a very good man! Good man! They think deep thoughts, and with no more brains than you have. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, yesterday Trump incited a mob of his supporters to storm the U.S. Capitol to try to overturn the election. And we're going to talk about Bean Dad? What the hell is wrong with us? <laughs> I mean, it was either that or Kanye West getting divorced. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was pushing for that, but... Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are times, Tamler, in one's life <laughs> when one has to take... A real step back and just distract oneself with meaningless <laughs> shit. Because this, uh, I think we both texted each other yesterday. We're, we were actually supposed to record yesterday, right? Yeah. And and this shit's a little heavy right now. It's uh, We're recording this on Thursday, the day after. Like you said, we were going to record yesterday, but that was right at the time when the Capitol oh was being story. overrun. So anyway, this was yesterday. Today's Thursday. This episode will drop on Tuesday. Sometimes I have to tweet out, you know, oh, we recorded this five days ago after the storming of the Capitol, but before blank. Right. What do you think the blank would be if I have to tweet <laughs> that out? Um, wow, that's a good question. Um, you know, there's... There, it's hard for me to to sometimes disentangle forecasting from wish casting mm-hmm. because you know I want it to be that Trump is declared incompetent because even like one of the things you just told me before we started uh, recording <laughs> sounds like the guy is doing a full Colonel Kurtz like he's just like full on lost it right he's like holed yeah. up in the White House shaving his head and like you know slaughtering <laughs> a fucking like wildebeest or whatever. <laughs> It's true. No, I do think he's lost it. Like, that's what the 25th Amendment is for, is, like, if they're incompetent to run the country. Actually, this gets me a real, real pertinent question. Are you willing to declare uh, mental illness real illness for the sake of the 25th Amendment? (laughs) That's a good question, right? Uh, uh, Yeah, you know, it's a cost to just recognize the reality of certain mental illnesses, like extreme narcissism. But uh, do you... Is that your prediction of what will happen? Actually, no. I realistically don't think it will happen. I, you know, I can't. I'm not creative enough to think of a, any of the shit that's been happening to really predict what's going to happen. Like, I, I'm, I suspect that what's going to happen is business as usual, and people will ignore it, and people will continue to blame Antifa and try to shirk responsibility. I feel like <laughs> nothing's going to happen. Um, but you know, I don't know. Do you if have the, any predictions? 
No, I was going to say roughly the same thing. Like, how the fuck could you possibly predict? If that's Antifa, they are some of the best actors in America. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they sure looked like Trump supporters, like out of. It's a very, it's a very recognizable aesthetic. Yeah. Right, like they must have had a full-on costume designer. Um, yeah, I, you know, one of the things I said, sort of in the spirit of what you were saying, which is funny and sad, you know, and I, I was actually pretty angry about what was going on and upset. Um, but the only thing I could manage to like tweet out was that they, these are some corny-looking motherfuckers. These like <laughs> these yeah. were some real. I was trying not to laugh at them because they're rioting, you know, they're storming. <laughs> right. um, but yeah. <laughs> but they looked like they could, you know, what like a Saturday Night Live writer would think like a NASCAR infield looks like or something like that, you know? <laughs> uh, and yeah, like they were like hats with beer cozies, you know? <laughs> there's some real questions as to the cops. A, why they weren't prepared for this. Yeah. This was not the hardest thing in the world to predict that something like that would happen and they just didn't have anywhere near the numbers. But then also like they were treating them with kid gloves until the very end where they finally uh, just said, okay, you guys got to get the fuck out. Yeah. So like the difference between protests turning violent, I think usually is, is the cops responses to the vandalism and, and the violence of the rioters. And here it was just, I saw... One of my the favorite things I read yesterday was um, somebody tweeted, everybody's asking, uh, where are the cops? Do you really ask where uh, Miley Cyrus is when Hannah Montana's performing? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, you have to think that some of them have a lot of sympathy with, with what they're doing. Um, yeah, they were taking selfies and shit. You know, it was not a good showing. That was not. I mean, like, I, I you know, whatever. The irony is this is more like how you would want cops to act in a protest. That's, that's you know? right. That's what, you know, I saw somebody's, you know, some uh, uh, black dude on Twitter, like tweeted something out and said, basically like, look, let's make this clear. We're not asking you to like bash in their skulls. We're asking you to treat us the right. same way that you're treating them, right? Yeah. Which it seems, I again, like I think that they should have been arresting everybody and zip tying everybody. So there's a, but there's a happy medium there. Yeah. They, yeah. It's amazing how few people got arrested, how just open they were about everything. I think they were genu genuinely surprised, even to the extent that they were kind of manhandled or like tear gassed or pepper sprayed. Like yeah. they were surprised that that even happened. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, I just, I really don't understand how, you know, there's plenty of political discussion about this and I, I don't want to dive, do a deep dive because partly because I don't have the energy to do it right now, but it, it, I was just shocked at the pictures of people like in Pence's chair, right? Like it, it, any any other protest this past summer, that that, that person would have gotten their skull bashed in. Like I I cannot. It just seems so weird to me that that police weren't rushing them and and batoning them and right. getting them out of there. In Nancy Pelosi's office, just enough to take pictures. <laughs> that guy, that's a that's an immortal picture. That's an indelible <laughs> photo. Like when people do the year in review, there's no way that picture isn't isn't being there. <sighs> yeah. Well, we should say by the way that in the second part of this episode, we are going to talk with the legendary Lauren Anderson, the first black ballerina um, at a major ballet company. Um, in America, and whose shoes are in the Smithsonian? Whose shoes are in the Smithsonian? She's also a, a, a good friend of mine, a really good friend of my wife's. Um, and we talk about the Atlanta episode, Juneteenth. That's what we'll be talking about. One of the great episodes of television ever. Just so so good. And we decided we wanted to talk about it, but we thought it'd be a good idea to. 
get some lived experience. And I think Lauren <laughs> has a plenty of that when it comes to these kinds of things. She grew up in Houston. She is a, uh, a black woman that is required to adopt many roles over the course of her career. So it was a nice discussion. And But before that, we have to get to the important things. Last thing on the, or I don't know, maybe you have more to say about the, uh, the Capitol thing Correct. yesterday, yeah. but what a fucking, like I, I, Ted Cruz, it, it's just hard to even fathom. It is like just so mind boggling. What a sniveling weasel he is. And for what? Like, what does he think this is? Does he think they're going to like him? Does he think anybody will not view him as just like just an odious little rat this just with no self-respect who just is willing to humiliate himself over and over and over again in the least entertaining way possible like what what does he think is going to come of this i i i really hope this is the end of whatever career ted cruz has had he ted cruz is a uh, like a a poorly written movie villain like and not like the powerful villain, but like the guy who is right. his second in like like worm tongue from the Lord of the Rings, like or, or like Ned know. Beatty and Superman. Do you remember like Lex Luthor's like? <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, it's like uh, he said yes so much to like whoever zero honor, zero honor. Not even it cannot be that that trump respects him obviously i don't think so obviously. So, so he's he's just and trump yeah, supporters like, don't respect him like they like nobody no. respects him you can't respect him he's the he has the least he's the per, arguably the person in america that you should have the least respect for <laughs> <laughs> maybe there should be a people least respectable person of the year <laughs> nobody comes certainly off the top of my head i can't think of anybody you just know that his hands are clammy when you shake them He's that kind of a dude. Right. He, he just looks like how he is, too. <laughs> all right. Enough of that. We'll see what happens. God knows this will already be old news. And speaking of old news, Bean Dad, a, a controversy that I would not have even known about probably like forever. Like I would have gone to my grave if it hadn't been for you. <laughs> right. That's right. Because of what happened yesterday that sort of interrupted that news cycle. Because I think it would have been, it, it would have made its way um, to you eventually had it not been completely usurped by, by more pressing news. But I thought it was just the sort of thing that you might, <laughs> you might get a kick out of talking about. So Bean Dad is, is uh, now, unfortunately, infamously known as Bean Dad is a, he's a rock musician from Seattle named uh, John Roderick, who actually does podcasts with people who I like and people who I even know. And so, so I'm a little, I'm a little bit biased in, in the favor of giving the guy a break. So the guy has like a comedic persona, right? It's, it's shtick, but he tweeted a series of tweets describing a day that he had with his daughter when she said she was hungry. And he said, why don't you open a can of beans, <laughs> baked beans? Um, and, uh, and, she didn't know how to use the can opener. So he just let her figure it out on her own. Like, and it took about six hours where, where she was just essentially trying to open this can of beans. And the way that he described it was sort of being like an asshole dad. Like this was his, you know, the persona that he was adopting at least. Um, and the way that he described it upset a lot of people because, I, you know, and I get it. I get why some people who have actually been abused or have seen actual abuse might have thought he was taking this kind of thing lightly. And if you don't know who he is and that he's like a co comedic podcaster, then you might actually take it more seriously. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it should be taken seriously. But 
He immediately got the fire, of, like the fucking fire and brimstone of all of Twitter. And importantly, so he, he he doubled down a little bit in his responses to people who were telling him he's an asshole and he's abusive. But then uh, people just dug through his Twitter history. This is the part that I knew you would like. And found some attempts at humor from a few years ago that involved like the use of racial slurs, anti-Semitic, like Jews ruin everything, you know, shit that I could be crucified for. Uh, shit you, you say all the Jew. time. I was actually going to text you and say like, you should, you better <laughs> delete your, you know, Twitter history because I'm sure there's some, <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of this stuff that's worse. Yeah. To like... To be fair, I mean, I think this is part of the lack of wisdom on his on his behalf. Like, I, you know, the way that you and I joke um, is is something that that I hope is obvious in context. That I w- but I wouldn't write that on Twitter. Like, I, I know you mm-hmm. can take us out of context, but but putting it on Twitter is just you know, like yeah. a keyword search can reveal. Something I mean, that yes, I just would never do. Yes, right. I, I think like the medium is the message, as Marshall McLuhan said, and there is a yeah. difference between doing this stuff on a podcast episode and there's a difference between doing it on Twitter. That said, who the fuck? Who, who, like, why would you search this guy's history? This guy's a stranger who you don't even know. What are you doing? Like, what kind of a life do you lead? What kind of uh, a person are you that you go trying to dig up stuff and then say you're offended by it? Like this person you never knew existed. He's a total stranger. And he tells this story that for whatever reason you find deeply hurtful or you pretend to. And then you do this. It's like for everyone who criticizes pylon, like all the pylon stuff and cancel. I don't don't even want to say this guy's been canceled because it's not clear that, you know, aside from losing a, a like whatever, they're not using his music on some ridiculous podcast like nothing else has happened to him <laughs> yeah, that's a huge podcast but yeah um here's one of the, the the unfortunate consequences of this is this guy is a sort of you know he has this circle of internet uh personalities that 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 he's associated with and um he does like four podcasts with four different people one of whom i know you you, you know you know him uh, a bit dan benjamin who's a jew um and who knows that this guy isn't anti-Semitic. Ken Jennings uh, yeah. does a podcast with him. And Ken Jennings tweeted out a defense of him, maybe flippantly, maybe early on, not knowing. Um, and how Ken Jennings is in danger of losing his his uh, ability to host Jeopardy. Oh, my God. Um, and you know who number two is? Fucking George, Ste- George Stephanopoulos. Oh, no. no, really? Yeah, I swear to God. Uh, oh, my God. So God. that's a huge I, deal. Like, that would mean that I would be like... Right out there with, uh, you know, Andrew Sullivan on Substack bitching about cancel culture. If because of this, it's George Stephanopoulos instead of Ken Jennings. Like, I I had heard Levar Burton as a potential, and like I love Levar uh, Levar Burton, so I wouldn't shed a tear about that. But still, man, to like for this for this kind of like somebody digging up your previous Twitter history, which you know it's. This is if if there is a theme of shit we talk about since the beginning we've talked about since the beginning this is this is one this moral busybody uh, bullshit that people have which is just a consequence of the perverted incentives that the internet that you know that social media has for for being the first one to find that he that he you know said something mildly offensive and just amplifying it and if you're that one, like you get a ton of retweets and a ton of people being like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just bullshit. It's terrible. How? So let's go through it. So the initial story, like he tells this story. It's now deleted, but there are screenshots of it if, if you want to yeah. find it. It's 
it's kind of hard to imagine that he thought this would be taken well. Like it's, uh, I mean, yeah. just the fact that like if the daughter is hungry, so you're going to like, like beans, baked beans, like what the fuck? Like you don't give your daughter Boston. beans. Uh, Boston. I thought that's what you guys all ate. <laughs> no, you don't give your, and then like, yeah, okay. I get it. Like a nine year old maybe should be, be able to open a can of beans. And so he taught, but you know, the way he's describing it and how frustrated she is and how like, you know, exasperated and hungry it makes it sound like he's kind of being a dick, not abusive yeah. and all of that. Like I, I, so just that story and the way people yeah. responded to that. So here's one thing I have no sympathy for is even if you are a victim of an abuse, but especially for the majority of people who aren't victims of abuse, like just all of a sudden judging this stranger based on one t- tweet thread that he is an abusive parent. Like you have no idea who this guy is or what he is. If you want to make fun of him, fine. It's a totally make funnable story. If you want to like ratio it and do all that sh- shit and call him an asshole or whatever, but he's still like, there's no possible way to draw any conclusions about him as a parent overall you don't know him this is your all your evidence so like even at that stage i would think like there's making fun of this guy calling him bean dad um making jokes about it totally fine he put it out there in public he put it out there on twitter he's gonna have to eat eat shit that's fine like you know that's how that's the way it goes that's how it works but this and then so my, so that's my view but I understand I guess if you have a visceral but especially for the vast majority of people who just don't who, who really just wanted to um, be outraged they want to express their moral condemnation uh, for this for nothing I mean they could have just waited a yeah. few days and they had they could just they would have endless it's, things to express moral yeah, outrage about it's like save your energy I mean there there is um, I, I think a a weird you know that if he were a stand-up comic and, and said this on stage, everybody would laugh. You know, there is a, a sort of an inability to read an audience when the audience that you have maybe on Twitter would understand it, but the ability to amplify it to all sorts of people in a decontextualized way, like that's just, it means that comedy on Twitter, I think is damn near impossible unless it's super vanilla comedy. I don't think that's true. I think yeah, there are I very mean, funny people on Twitter who say really kind of, edgy things yeah. but like it's it's more that that um you you can't like dave there is um a way in which if dave Chappelle wrote down some of the things he said and tweeted them he would get ratioed to death more than if he said them on stage so i, I agree there are plenty of funny people on twitter it's just you, you can't take for granted that people are going to read it as comedy like i'm I think, not convinced though that this guy is funny based on like <laughs> any of the things that i've seen he's a funny guy if you listen to right. his podcast but he but it's but it didn't come through here like you don't like he was and he doubled down when people were saying you know he was just like fuck you like whatever this is just which me. i think yeah. is also appropriate like yeah yes fuck maybe it. let's it's let's get to like i think one of the biggest yeah. issues which is that he posted an apology and in fact you could just google john Roder john roderick apology and you'll see or being dad apology. what is or being dad apology and you'll see um a, you know a very like I don't know, long, pretty well thought out, not perfect apology by any. Means, I would call I suppose, it groveling what? and pathetic. Actually, like I, 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 I'm opposed to the apology, not for the, not because I don't accept, but it just seems so like it's thing. like groveling. He he is 
a very left-leaning woke person. So I think that the people who were angry at him, he uh, felt like, shit, these are supposed to be my people. And so what, what you read as groveling is not like, yeah, if Bill Burr wrote this, it would be groveling. But this guy, this guy, these are the principles that he wants to adhere to. Like he wants to be a woke guy. And so it was a real, like, I'm a straight white male and like I, you know, I shouldn't have said all these things. Um, but regardless, I agree with you that public apologies like this, I didn't used to think this, dude, but I, I think from some research that I read and from just like seeing this shit, uh, I don't think they work. I don't think that they do anything other than get people more angry at you. And that's, I think, what happened here. Like, I think it's it's just shut. He should just not have said it. Well, I think like, yeah, I don't know if people got more angry or it was just another opportunity for them to like just pour on some new thing. I guess like I, I have a problem with it because there's nobody he should apologize to. You know that's, what I mean? That's, that's the thing. And here is like where I get almost almost Tamler-like levels of restorative justice uh, thinking, where I really believe that the, what an apology ought to be is when you harm a person you care about or even a person that you didn't know you cared about, but like you know that you've harmed them and you, you wish you hadn't. You go to that person and you apologize. Yeah. Here, or, or you publicly he, apologize, but it's to a specific person. like To a specific person. Who was legitimately yeah. harmed by you. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, Public apologies, I think, are just PR. I, I just don't, I don't like it. I actually think, like, suppose that uh, I said something that deeply offended you, which happens all the time. Um, I, I, I wouldn't mind saying to our audience, I apologize to Tambler, and it's between us. But I don't get the right, I don't know. This well, is, there's a, an amorphous audience that he has, quote unquote, harmed, and he's tossing this out into the ether, and it, it's, to me, it's just PR. It's bad PR. It's it's bad PR. I don't think it's wise. So I don't think it's prudent. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's not going to get the job done. Um, but also, just I don't know. I have a kind of a moral look. This guy had people had no business getting this mad at him. People had business making fun of him. People had business uh, being a dick to him, maybe on Twitter, but not getting all sanctimonious right. about anything that he said. And so there's nothing really to apologize for. And so, and, and there's no person, like you said, to apologize to, whether it's in person or in public. Yeah. It's just this amorphous mass of like uh, sanctimonious Twitter like dicks. Yeah. And so like, f fuck them and don't apologize. Like, is he really, I mean, may, he sounds really sorry, I guess, but I just, I don't know. I, I feel like this is something <laughs> like if I'm about to do this, I would like you to <laughs> stop. stop you. From doing well, it. that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is I understand his impulse. Like if I've hurt someone's feelings, like I feel like I feel like I really ought to, you know, so let me just read a little bit of it, uh, of his apology. He says, my language wasn't appropriate then or now and reflecting on that has been part of my continuing education as an adult who wants to be a good ally. That education is ongoing and this experience will have a profound effect on the way I conduct myself throughout the rest of my life. I'm a middle-aged, middle-class, straight white male and I try to be cognizant of that and the responsibility my privileges entail in everything I do. Yeah. In this case, it was precisely my privilege of not living in an abusive family, of not being a member of a community that routinely experiences real trauma <sighs> that caused me to so grossly misjudge the impact of the language I chose. There's, I get it, dude, but there is a way in which you are making real the hurt that exactly. you're being accused of causing. And yes. I don't think that that deserves 
Right. But, you know, I get it. I get the impulse. Like he quit Twitter in a huff, panicked, and he probably the next day thought that this was the right move. Um, he legitimizes all that, yeah. uh, the outrage. And like, I guess I don't think it should be legitimized, but it's not maybe his job to like worry about whether this stuff is legitimized. So, uh, right. I wanted to ask you if I got canceled hardcore like this in public, like if somebody said like that, the, the anti-Semitism has gone too far. Yeah. <laughs> would you keep doing a podcast with me or would you be like, oh, I man. would. I would. <laughs> Good. Like I say that like sincerely and I feel like I've, I, that's, you know, I have a lot of faults in my character, but bowing to this kind of pressure, I don't <laughs> think is one of them. Um, you never know until you're in that, you know? Yeah. I know. You don't. You don't. And here's a here's a response to um, the apology. And like, this is exactly what I, I, I just find so reprehensible. So th- this is from somebody uh, named Edgar Allen Bitch. That's what she calls herself on Twitter. She says, I assume it's a she. There's a photo of her. This is the other thing. It's like, you're, these are all fucking anonymous people. Who knows who yeah. these people are? Here's why I don't trust Bean Dad's apology. He's who gives a fuck if you trust it or not. Like he says all the right words. And I really want to take it at face value. Want is in all caps. Like, oh, sure you do. Sure you want to. Like, Like, oh, if only you could take it at face value. But he also talks about how the persona he, quote, created isn't who he really is. And he makes sure to tell us that he and his child laughed a lot during the Bean ordeal. I don't believe you create an abusive parent persona by accident. Uh, blah, 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 blah. It's like, I, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, how can you not just have a life? Just watch a movie. Do something with your life. Do something interesting or enriching. It's, it's mind-boggling to me. This is what- I mean, honestly, if you, were just, if you were just in it for likes and retweets, you would have a pretty decent time just like- looking around and and being getting offended by some of these in, in some cases i don't even believe that these people are actually offended oh like, I, I think yes <laughs> definitely not i think yeah. and actually this goes let's take a break but yeah. i want to ask you a question that also that ties to that and that ties to um the the thing that happened yesterday the storming of the capital the insurrection um, so let's take a break and I'll, I'll ask you that. It's like radio. Right. It's like a teaser. <laughs> That's right. Insert car commercial. Today's episode is brought to you once again by GiveWell. Over the holiday season, we've talked to you quite a bit about GiveWell, the nonprofit that searches for the charities where your donation helps the most. And now GiveWell wants to say thank you. In 2020, podcast listeners like you gave over $1.6 million to the cost-effective, evidence-backed charities that GiveWell recommends. And Dave and I are extremely proud to report that our listeners have contributed over $182,000 in immediate and recurring donations to GiveWell. That's amazing. Overall, GiveWell has helped over 50,000 donors direct over $500 million to the most effective charities that save and improve lives most per dollar. And GiveWell never takes any fees, so 100% of your tax-deductible donations are given to the charity you choose. Whether it's medicine or mosquito nets to prevent malaria, vaccinations, deworming, or cash transfers— 
GiveWell finds the most effective philanthropies that do the most good. Just a few weeks ago, in fact, I donated to GiveWell, and this time I selected GiveDirectly, this really cool organization that gives unconditional cash transfers to poor households in low-income countries and to people affected by humanitarian crises. No strings, no bureaucratic red tape, direct cash transfers to the people who need it the most. This is just one of the many extremely effective charities that GiveWell has researched. And in 2021, GiveWell is encouraging you to keep the giving spirit alive. This is really a cool offer or program that they're starting now. Any listener who starts a new monthly donation by the end of February will have their first month matched up to $250 if you start a new monthly donation. Every month, you'll automatically work towards saving lives, preventing deadly disease, or helping those in extreme poverty. This is true whether you're new to GiveWell or already a donor. Any listener who starts a new monthly donation by the end of February will have their first month matched up to $250. So go to GiveWell.org slash VeryBadWizards and select podcast and then VeryBadWizards at checkout. Once again, go to GiveWell.org slash VeryBadWizards and select podcast and Very Bad Wizards at checkout. Thank you so much to GiveWell for all that you do and for sponsoring this episode. One of the things we were talking about was the sincerity of the people who were who were outraged. And this relates to something I wanted to say about the uh, uh, another tweet that someone made about the about what happened yesterday the insurrection or the coup uh, or whatever conceptual analysis you wanted to do of what happened yesterday but the um before we get there i just want to say that like we were talking about public apologies and there is w- like a one famous one that we've talked about which is dan Harmon's apology right. to the writer that he harassed on the when he was the showrunner at community and that was public he also did it privately but it was to a yeah. specific person who was right. sincerely and genuinely harmed by him yeah. and yeah. that's why i think that was both necessary and so effective is he really went into it and another thing he did it on the podcast he didn't release yeah. a statement i think if you release a statement it already sounds like kind of bullshit whereas if you actually yeah, say it that, that like releasing a statement really makes me wonder whether it was a pr uh, mm-hmm. company that you hired you know <laughs> again that marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message like you know if yeah. you do it on a podcast where you're speaking and you like people can tell if you sound genuine if you are really um but you can't make that clear in a statement and the fact that so many celebrities have released statements where they apologize it's just like yeah i don't know but well, the thing is you know like in that case she she can decide whether she wants to accept it and i, I believe she did is the story yeah. and then everybody can be like okay that's cool right. but um that that everybody takes it upon themselves to be able to like oh, I'm not accepting Bean Dad's apology. Like right. who the fuck are you? <laughs> exactly. Like, but this is why you don't apologize. And like, who the fuck yeah. are you to accept his apology or not? Like you're just some anonymous person. You don't even have a, your real name on Twitter. That's yeah. No. Um, <laughs> I won't. Again, stop me from doing it. Like smother me in yeah. my sleep. Well, but, I would stop you once I saw you starting to tweet how <laughs> what what a bad father you were. I'd probably like call you right. Away. You know, that's the thing. Like, if I tweeted like you know that I watched Chinatown with my daughter when she was ten or something, and everyone started piling on on Twitter, like I would eat shit for a, a couple of days, yeah. and then but I, there's no way I would apologize to anybody. Like you know, yeah. um, that, like 
only if you actually harmed your daughter would you apologize. Like maybe this guy owed his daughter an apology, you know, maybe. Maybe. Um, <laughs> he doesn't seem to think that he did. And I don't know. Like it is a weird, it's a bit of a weird story. It is a weird story. He's a weird guy. Like he's, he's honestly odd, odd dude. You are, you know, he's, he's not for everyone. And this is the thing, you know, Twitter makes your audience include people who would never be drawn to your personality. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, uh, there's no curation there. So here's the thing I wanted to ask you before we went to the break. So there was a, uh, a, a tweet by someone named Jonathan Blanks, who I don't know. Um, he was talking about a Brett Stevens uh, <laughs> column um, that said, like, we have to impeach Trump now. And he, Brett Stevens is one of these never Trumpers. He also had a little mishap with Twitter when he got into like a Twitter fight with somebody and then sent him an email and CC'd the provost of the, cause it was a guy who was an act, oh, a professor. You remember okay. that? He CC'd yeah. the provost. He's just like a snitch. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> he's bitching <laughs> about uh, cancel culture. Like he CC'd the provost. <laughs> Like a little, like a little seven-year-old telling the teacher, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and that was like a pylon that I could, you know, get behind. I wouldn't like mm-hmm. contribute to it, but like right. anyway. So he, shit. Yeah. So here's what Jonathan Blanks says: The last people I want to hear from are the number of Trumpers who fought Trump's culture wars for him. They are complicit, even if cluelessly so. And then he says later in the thread, to clarify, if you've spent the last four to five years complaining about woke SJW or 1619 folks, you were doing Trump a favor, whether or not you personally supported him. So, you know, this is targeting, I think, some of the people that we often are not happy with, the people who overblow cancel culture or, you know, uh, woke culture or whatever. But I I, like, and at first when I saw this, I was kind of like, it's, it's kind of true. They have made everybody think that like, um, PC communists have taken over all the universities and the media. Um, and they've done it maybe at times cynically, but at, but at, but I don't know, like, that I hold them in any way culpable for yesterday. But I wanted to know what you thought of it. It's a tough question. You know, there is a subreddit called Am I the Asshole? And yeah. the way that it works is people post, like, a genuine question, like, this happened, am I the asshole? And the rules are that you have to either respond with NTA, which means not the asshole, or you're the asshole, YTA. Yeah. But there's a third option, which is everybody sucks here. Yeah. And that third option is the way I feel about this stuff. Like, do I want to blame like some of the IDW folks? They did throw fuel on the fire. Like mm-hmm. the, the ability for some people to point to the, the the sort of centrist IDW folks for legitimizing some of their, you know, grievances. Yeah. yeah. Um that I'm sure it had an effect. Now, I don't know if it had an effect on those corny ass motherfuckers in the Trump, you know, beanies. But <laughs> They're certainly like it didn't help. Now, I, but the thing is, like, I, you know, the reason I say everybody sucks here is because I don't like those people either. <laughs> like, I don't, like, a lot of them I don't like. Like, a lot of the, the, the super, uh, I don't know, maybe people put me in this category, but the, the super woke. SJWs. Yeah. Yeah. Like the super woke that are looking for offense in the way that we just were talking about are, are people who I think make our culture shit too. So it's a hard, it's a hard one. Like, you have to pick your battles. And I've, I've fallen on the side of I would rather be lumped into the SJW folks because even if they suck, 
like they're they are fighting for something that in general I would more likely to agree with than the than the people who are the anti woke crowd. Um, but I don't like I don't like I don't like this country. <laughs> I don't like any of this. You know, this culture these culture wars are draining. They're, they're terrible. Yeah, like if you're talking about like the Weinstein's, like I don't know about them. Like I, I don't know how seriously to take their their shtick. Um, yeah. I know that certain people like Andrew Sullivan. I th- as misguided as I think he is, like he really believes that critical race theory has taken over all universities and like most um, of the media. And while I think that's batshit crazy, I also think that he believes it. And if he believes it, then, you know, it's hard to <laughs> hold him responsible for some collateral effects of that. Even if like, I don't read him anymore and I've, you know, and I think it's, ludicrous um so i guess if i think that you really buy the bullshit that bullshit then you know and this is true even of like that some of the trump supporters like i think some of them i think a lot of them really believe this election was rigged and stolen and like that doesn't that doesn't justify uh breaking into the capitol but it justifies being really mad and being really you know it's like this is part of living in this new world where there's no objective authority to trust and so people are going to be benighted and misguided i'm sure we are a lot of the time too like that's just you know there's going to be that's that's the destructive effects of that i don't think it's like their fault um yeah well so here's the thing i mean there's there's like sort of causal blame and there's moral blame and it may be the case that people start off i mean look sort of how how james Lindsay went off the deep end there right um people start off sort of pissed off at like some of the shit we make fun of right like those crazy ass papers that get published and like stuff that that is obviously ridiculous now we might disagree about its influence on universities in general but we know some of that's ludicrous so if they start there because that's where their anger is um, it's easy to see how they might get drawn like more and more um, in one direction. And I think this happens on both sides. I, yeah, I, 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 so they might actually be causally to blame for bringing a lot of say young men into the like Trump spheres. Um, I don't think that they deserve the moral blame in the sense that uh, some of the more reasonable ones are are actually making some decent points about like the ludicrousness of these th- these uh, ideas, but you know some people just are ro- like <laughs> the conspirators are just wrong. Like I want to believe that they're just wrong. Like I'm trying so hard to hold on to some epistemic clarity and some some. <laughs> well, it's hard. Like it's easy to think that James Lindsay is wrong. Like he really has yeah. become like a QAnon person essentially, um, except substitute like. Hillary Clinton or with like critical race theory. But, uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think sometimes, uh, you, I see it happening with myself on a micro level where at first you're just sort of joking around and making fun of something and a little irritated or even just irritated by it. And then you start to uh, magnify its importance. Um, but yeah, like I have to make, it's like, we have to make a real decision about what we're going to let anger us more. Yeah. Right. And like, cause there's, there's so and, much and, and publicize and like make a big yeah. thing. I mean, the thing that like, when you're talking about like the Weinsteins, they've profited off this, they've made themselves millionaires off of this yeah. stuff. And so when that's yeah. true and like, that's probably, that's true for a lot of them. Like this is a big money generator. 
Um, you and I always joke about how like we could make more money if we just joined the IDW and started bitching about like intersectionalism or whatever. So, so that adds this element of, well, like you're just doing this to profit for profit, but, and, 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 and look what happens. People take you seriously. And then like, but I, again, I think it's, it's more, it's, it's weirder than that. I think it's maybe starts that way, but then you start to really believe it. You start to believe what you're selling and you start to get really emotionally invested in what you're selling. And so, yeah. Yeah. The best thing is just to not believe anything and not care about anything. This is nihilist. This is the sort of apathetic, apathetic comfort zone that I like to inhabit till fucking shit forces me to vote. Lie, um, lie on the floor and listen to old bowling <laughs> um, games through your headphones. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. This world is a shit show. Um, I before uh, we like, take a real break. Um, I asked Hamler to let me say a few words about uh, the rapper MF Doom, um, who passed away. It was only announced on uh, New Year's Eve, but uh, he passed away on October 31st. So he had been dead for a couple months. And um, you know, normally I'm not I'm not going to one to take up time talking about my sentimental life, but um, he was my favorite artist, and he was a I think the most creative person I've ever heard rap. And uh, he took up a lot of my time and energy. I have a room full of MF Doom shit. If anybody has listened to my beats and liked them, there's an undeniable influence of his work. And, you know, I used to, when I taught in real life in person, um, my big intro site class that has sometimes up to a thousand kids, I would have a, uh, uh, my desktop computer on my computer was a picture of MF Doom, a cover of his album. And, um, for the last eight years, uh, it's been so nice to get to tell, hear people say like, I saw this picture on your laptop and because of that, I went and looked up who this was and now like they've become like true, true deep fans. And, uh, a lot of those people emailed me the night that he died, Uh. it was announced that he died. And, and I was sad, man. And like, I, I don't have much to say other than art really matters and it like really can change people's lives in a way that is, it's just one of the few pleasures in this life (laughs) during this day and age is the power that an artist can have uh, over you. So, so rest in peace, MF Doom. And thank you for listening. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so instead of like piling on this next person and digging through their tweets, like (laughs) appreciate all great artists. Yeah. Listen to MF Doom. (laughs) All right. Uh, speaking of great artists, we will be back to talk about an episode by one of our great artists, Donald Glover, from his great series, Atlanta. This episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you once again by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a sponsor that I'm glad that we continue to have, especially in these days and times. If you're not feeling the stress of a worldwide pandemic, and if you live in the United States, the stress of seeing your government potentially crumble before your eyes, then good for you. But many of us are experiencing a lot of anxiety. Uh, We don't have the social support that we would normally have, so many of us are battling with depression and fatigue. BetterHelp allows you to tap into a network of therapists who are licensed, accredited, and experienced, and who are there to help you with all of these issues, depression, anxiety, problems with your relationships, trauma, grief, uh, and more. 
With the BetterHelp counselors, you get professionalism and quality that you would expect from an in-office counselor. Um, But you get, on top of that, the ability to communicate with them in whatever method you want and at whatever time you want. So if you sign up for BetterHelp, in under 24 hours, you'll be up and talking to one of these therapists that has been matched specifically to suit your needs. And guess what? If you don't like them, you can always change. BetterHelp is available in all 50 states and even worldwide. You can uh, use it on your desktop computer or on their Android or iOS apps. It's secure and it's convenient. And on top of that, it's affordable. And if you can't afford it, they will help you uh, match up with some financial aid to get the help that you need. So if you are one of our listeners, maybe now is the time that you're really looking for some help, looking for some support. If you are, I would encourage you to go to betterhelp.com and you'll get 10% off of your first month with the discount code VBW today. So why not get started today in making your life a bit better than it has been? Go to betterhelp.com slash VBW. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash VBW. Fill out a questionnaire see what your needs are, and get matched with a counselor you'll love in under a day. Our thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time in the show that we like to take a moment to thank all of our supporters, all of our listeners, everybody who's contacted us with their various ideas, suggestions, praise, and complaints. Uh, We appreciate it all. Um, And we, again, read every single one of them. Unfortunately, aren't disciplined enough. Uh, to reply to them all, but uh, we appreciate them very much. And you can, if you want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us by emailing to verybadwizards at gmail.com, or you can tweet to us at verybadwizards or at Tamler and at Pease. Um, you can join in the usually lively discussions on the subreddit, the Very Bad Wizards subreddit, by going to reddit.com slash r slash verybadwizards. And you can talk shit with other listeners there as you want to do. Um, we also lurk on there and reply every once in a while. Um, you can follow our Instagram page, just very bad wizards. And we really appreciate all of those people who have taken their time to leave us a review on Apple Music. That actually, one day we'll do just a special Patreon episode <laughs> where we read our favorite <laughs> reviews. Because <laughs> I actually look forward to those. They get delivered in my inbox. Yeah. And, uh, and I, love, I love reading them. So thank you to everybody. You can also listen uh, or subscribe on Spotify. Um, 
And I, can you rate on Spotify? I don't think I've ever. Yeah, I don't think so. I haven't yeah. seen it anyway. But I think subscribing is good for us in some way. Yeah, because then we'll maybe Spotify will see how awesome we are and yeah. they'll offer us some Joe Rogan money. Exactly. <laughs> we'll just abandon everybody. Like like a hundred billion dollars or whatever they paid him. <laughs> and, yeah. and and we'll still do ads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and uh, until then, if you would like to support us in more tangible ways, um, you can give us a one-time or recurring donation on PayPal, or you can become one of our beloved Patreon supporters. There are several different tiers of support, and we appreciate all of our patrons. At any level of support, you'll get ad-free episodes, and um, you'll also get, for just $1 an episode, um, right now, four volumes of your beats, Dave? Is that yeah, right? Four volumes of there are four volumes of Dave's Beats on there. And um, and then for $2 and up per episode, you will get bonus episodes. And we just released one, in fact. Um, we were, were on an Atlanta kick, and we did an episode just uh, dropped a few days ago on Teddy Perkins, a kind of horror short film Um where Lakeith Stanfield shines and Donald Glover shines, although <laughs> it, you would never believe that it was Donald Glover playing Teddy Perkins. Um, and then $5 and up per episode, you also get to vote and choose an episode topic. We do that about twice a year. And probably somewhere within the next few weeks, I'll send out a call for nominations for topics that goes to all of our patrons. And then we do the finalists and our $5 and up episodes get to um, vote on that. They also get directly to their feed um, our Brothers Karamazov series that we did for Himalaya, five episodes. Um, if you're not one of our $5 and up Patreon supporters, you can go to Himalaya and purchase that for $5, or you can sign up for Himalaya. So uh, thank you so much to all of those people who really keep the lights on, make this show possible. Uh, We appreciate your generosity, and we will try always to live up to it. Absolutely. And buy t-shirts. Buy t-shirts. That's right. Those amazing t-shirts. I got my Cotton Bureau um, hoodie, which I hadn't gotten. That was the one thing I hadn't gotten. And so now I'm all decked out. My family's all decked out. It's great. All right. um, Let's turn to our interview. Well, it's not really an interview. It's our conversation about Atlanta's episode Juneteenth and our guest for today I'm really happy to have her on it's Lauren Anderson now just a little introduction to Lauren for all you Philistines in our listenership who may not be familiar with her. She is a former ballet dancer for Houston Ballet. She danced there for 23 years, and in 1990, she became the first African-American principal ballerina for a major American ballet company. She still works at Houston Ballet, where, which is where she met my wife, and it's how I met Lauren as well. Um, and she's not just a famous ballerina. She's just a very funny, good person. 
Uh, I think you'll see that in, in the conversation. She's a, a very good friend of my wife's and a friend of mine too. Uh, a few years ago, she had her point shoes from her final performance um, as a ballerina with Houston Ballet added to the permanent collection at the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian. It'll so be there forever. That's so cool. Uh, or at least as long as we're still going as a country. Uh, <laughs> and, and actually, that's what we start out talking about before we get to the Atlanta episode of Juneteenth. But what was it like when she went to the Smithsonian and had the exhibit um, uh, that she had her shoes put in the exhibit? So, yeah, enjoy the conversation. That is so badass. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's bizarre. It's the Smithsonian thing to me is still unreal. So did you get to visit? Did you get to go when they did it? Okay, so I went for the yes, the opening, and it was amazing because I think there were like four presidents and or three presidents and their wives and a bunch of other famous people of all kind of colors, and um, yeah, and I had my parents there and my son and my best friend and yeah it was it was pretty big stuff. did they did they serve hennessy <laughs> <laughs> they served hennessy at that party oh i love that tell them what you tell them what your son said oh this lauren. is way cool okay so um we were going so for lawrence to get out of school he had to go to these certain places his history teacher said okay you got to go to these certain places and i want pictures with the shoes so we only had a certain amount of tickets for people to enter at different times. So I worked it out to where everyone in my party got to go. But Lawrence needed to take pictures by the shoes. So we had to kind of plan that during the day. So we went during the day and Patti LaBelle was doing a sound check and, and um, Usher was coming in. And we were in this like 10 minute window in between those two. So we got ushered wow. in there and... Went to the first floor, then went to the second floor. The third floor had sports memorabilia, and my son wanted to look at the sports memorabilia. When he found out that Usher was coming, he's like, well, can I just stay here and wait for Usher? And I'm like, no, dude. We're here because you need to take pictures with my shoes. So let's go. So we finally get up there, and he just kind of looked at the case, and he just went, oh, my goodness. That's my mom. Oh, my God. My great grandkids can come and say this is their great great grandmother. I mean, that was probably the, the coolest wow. part of the whole thing. Yeah, mm. that was neat. That's so cool. That was neat. Yeah. If only our kids respected us. Like, <laughs> I know. We can only imagine what that would be like. Yeah. Well, they, they all need proof, right? They all need proof of what you. It's true. It's crazy. It's true. Like if they hear somebody else say something about us, then then it's cool. All right, so let's talk. We're here with the legendary Lauren Anderson, and we're going to talk about an episode of Atlanta. Dave and I have been. I've loved this show. We want to. We've been wanting to talk about Atlanta for a long time, and honestly, I think this is my favorite episode. But we thought it would be a good idea to have somebody on with some lived experience. Oof that can uh, <laughs> connect with the show and, and sort of let us in on some of the things that we may not be able to fully relate to. So, Lauren, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. I am so yes, happy to be you. here. I've heard so much about you guys. David, I'm so happy to meet you, baby. <laughs> I am too. I'm thrilled, actually. This is going to be fun. This is bizarre uh, for me to see Tam like this. 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Normally, so, like, I'm just like the kind of worthless husband. <laughs> the goofy guy in the back. Also, I'm like, the oh, wow, look, he's got a microphone and headphones. <laughs> <laughs> also, by the way, uh, recording at noon is the weirdest thing because Tamler is usually at least three drinks in. <laughs> yeah, <about this. laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and now I'm only two drinks in, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, it's very odd. <laughs> yeah, it's right. and it's 11 for us here, so it's even. No, that's right. Let me. I'll just read a quick synopsis for anybody who hasn't seen it, although we strongly recommend seeing the episode. It's short. You have to watch it. Yeah. It's short. It's, it's short, just, and yeah. uh, it's one of the funniest pieces of television that I've seen in a long time. So, uh, Earn who is played by Donald Glover and his baby mama. Can I say baby mama, Lauren? Absolutely, baby, because that's exactly <laughs> what she is. <laughs> Van, who is played by the awesome uh, Zazie Beats. They are going to a, a very kind of wealthy Juneteenth celebration because Van thinks it'll be really good for her career. There's a lot of rich, wealthy, influential people there. And so she asks Ern to pretend that they're married and that he's an Ivy League graduate. Um, the party is hosted by an elitist black woman and her white husband, who is very into black culture and black history in a creepy, for sure, but not entirely unsympathetic way. Um, so there's just a bunch of cringy scenes with Van and Ern trying to fake their way through conversations with these wealthy, elitist, uh, silly people. And uh, Van over the course of the party starts to feel like she's betraying her integrity even more than she suspected she might have to. And she gets really drunk. Finally, the, towards the end of the episode, Ern snaps and they have to leave the party. The episodes ends with them having sex in the car on the way home. They were just making out, man. You're, you're no, bringing something into no, this. There was straight up, <laughs> no, <laughs> Well, let's just say cut off before the sex. We we didn't get to see that. You don't see the whole sex scene. You don't see like cowgirl. Um, She had had that look in her eyes. It is true. (laughs) Uh, So Lauren, uh, let's start with you. What did you think of the episode overall? Um, I know you're new to Atlanta, right? Right. You hadn't seen Atlanta before, right? Okay. I hadn't seen Atlanta. I'm so looking forward to seeing the entire thing. And I want to start from episode one. But I will say episode nine, I think it is, is yeah, a yeah. great introduction and will make anyone want to watch it. Um, you know, I, I, I will tell you this. I have been three people in that episode. I've been Earn, I've been Van, and I've been this weird, there's this one woman uh, when the guys, oh, it's when he's doing the, the, the poetry. <laughs> when he does the poetry, there's this one woman who has this look on her face of, are you kidding me? I've been hurt too, right? I will say I watched it twice. The first time it was cringy and I laughed out loud. The second time it was cringy in a different way and I laughed even louder. I appreciated all of it. Can you, can you say a little bit about the two kinds of cringe? Okay, so the first cringe was, oh my, you're kidding me, right? It's, all, it's so stereotypical, over the top stereotypes on every kind of black person there is. Uh, the second time I watched it, I caught all of the, um, I think I caught more of what the writers were trying to say. Like what? What do you um, think the writers are trying to say? Okay, so all of this wealthy elite people, if you haven't seen it, they're all black, right? 
So you yeah. walk into this place and you've got this old man river at a Juneteenth party. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. But I thought it was hilarious. And at first I thought they were trying to be like the, the hostess was trying to be kitsch. But they were totally right. serious. They're sincere. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> it was. Lauren, are you from Texas? Oh, absolutely. I'm a native Houstonian. So I until recently, because I think of the the sort of in national attention of, of things like Black Lives Matter, maybe everybody knows what Juneteenth is. But growing up, I grew up in California. I learned late in life yeah. what Juneteenth was. So maybe you guys can say a little bit about like, is this something that's actually celebrated? Like, have you like, was this an event? Like, oh, is my this goodness. Some, is this, Honey. Yeah. OK, so in Texas, we found out like last that that there was an Emancipation Proclamation, right? And that's a celebration of Juneteenth for Texans specifically. It's specific to Texas, right? So I've been to Juneteenth barbecues like my entire life. That's what we did. Now, we didn't have, you know, like emancipation tea and all this kind of stuff. (laughs) I mean, it was just, you know. Plantation owner poison. Yeah, plantation owner poison. I'm like, that's the one I would have asked for, too, if I was at that party. (laughs) Um, but I think, you know, it was just like a celebration and it was another reason to, to get drunk and eat barbecue. Right. But that was what my opinion of it as a child, it was like 4th of July. It didn't mean anything to me. It was just another reason that these older people got together and I knew I was going to see family and friends and hang out. So it was a fun time. And it was, and I'm an only child, so I enjoyed being around other kids my age and running around at the park. So you said you've been Van and you've been Earn. Yeah. Can you say, you know, when you've been? So I was the first black principal dancer in a major ballet company, right? So I have been in these situations where um, I thought it would be a good idea if I went to this person's house because it's like a a board member's party that I didn't want to go to right it would be a good idea if I went and whoever I was dating at the time I like made it seem like we were really you know you know that it was all (laughs) copacetic when maybe it wasn't or I was getting divorced or something but I was you know we put put on that it was all perfect right because there's a a way that I need to appear I have also been (laughs) earn where I needed to go to help somebody because somebody knew that I was their business partner's wife's favorite ballerina, right? (laughs) So I've done that. And then I've been that crazy woman at a party going, these people are all nuts. Why am I here? (laughs) Right? So I've got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and my ex-husband is white, but he was not like that white guy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, neither one of us have been to Africa and anything like that. Do you want to talk about that guy? Because he's, so this is a guy who, who paints, what was his painting a representation of? The Malcolm X. The Malcolm X quote. Quote, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then he says his painting accurately depicts the plight of the contemporary black man as he gives, as he gives Donald Glover a Hennessy uh, <laughs> in his office. Yeah. And, and his office is, is like full of, like just like African and African American like memorabilia. Like this dude collects like 
reminders of slavery and shit like he's yeah. he reminds me of there's a what's bamboozled the spike lee movie yes. did you ever watch bamboozled yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. the guy he's like a, a a tom let's say and he collects like little sambo looking characters like it's there's something about the collection of that that is creepy. Well, his thing from a white guy. The difference is his thing was supposed. It's like you saw pictures of him in college with black, in, with black <laughs> guys in, in black frats, and you saw this, and then you see a Martin Luther King picture, and then you see a picture of him with someone in Africa because you know he needed to go and and atone for his for the sins yeah, of all white the, people. His guilt. And, yeah. Yeah. But then you see like the seat. I noticed this the second time. The seat that he's sitting in is like lizard and leopard, and so it's almost. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of. I didn't notice that. Jacked up, like yeah. I went to Africa <laughs> and I did this, but I brought back this bantu cloth, and I've got this like <laughs> you know crocodile and leopard and lizard. I don't know these skins. It was just really bizarre. The thing is, though, he. It seems like he. I mean, he meant well, right? Yeah. yeah he was yeah. sincere about all of as ridiculous as it was. He was sincere. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love at the end when Donald Glover snaps and he's like, and no, I've never been to Africa because I'm fucking broke. And then the guy's <laughs> like, oh, that's my bad. That's my bad. Yeah. You know, like, he, have you come across people like that? Like white people try over trying yeah. to identify or understand the black experience? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like um, all the time. The apologetic, and it's funny because especially with what's come up with the Black Lives Matter movement and and the past, I don't know, seven or eight months, and the apologies and the, can you help me explain, can you help me with this? And, you know, I try to let my my friends off the hook, right? I'm like, look, you don't need to apologize. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything to me, right? And I don't know what your parents or your great-grandparents did and... and um, I know the history, but let's let's move forward. But have I I have come across that person that's like, uh, yo, baby, yo, and stuff like that to me. <laughs> and I am so not the hood person. Yes, I am all about working in the hood. And did I live in the hood? Yes. Am I yo, baby, yo? No. Um, you don't have to yo, baby, yo me. I just think it's hilarious. Right. But I try to let that person off the hook, too, because they're doing the best they can. Right. Right. You, one of the things that um, that I don't think is obvious to non-black people in America is um, something that this show is really. So it's not it's not only just the white guy that's being satirized. It's the class battles between black people Oof. that that I remember uh, realizing this at some point and being like, oh, you mean. You mean like amongst each other? Like you guys like look down on each other, mm. you know? And I was like, oh shit. And this captures, I think that, but, Absolutely. but uh, you tell me. Yeah. So there's, so there's that. Okay. Um, there's that whole thing of, oh, you're with a rap situation. Right. Like that's less, yeah. <laughs> like that music right. is less music than like, so whatever. Um, yeah. But that happens in every culture. Right. Yeah. In the Latin culture, yes. it's, I mean, it's just, it's in every single solitary culture that I know. There's somebody that thinks that they're better than the other because of yeah. the class system, right? And okay, so then there's a whole different culture. So like my parents, you would never leave the house with your jeans not ironed, your hair not perfectly combed, 
and you know a hoodie why would you even wear a hoodie right okay so and watching my dad look at my son my son has like worm hair i call it worm hair he's got uh dreads but they're not really dreads more like twists he has twists and i don't care how he wears his hair actually i kind of like it all poofed out on top of this i think it looks kind of cool actually how how old is he 17. So he okay. absolutely is not ironing a pair of jeans. He absolutely is wearing a hoodie. <laughs> and he has hair that's all over the place that some days he doesn't even comb. Now, my dad, on the other hand, doesn't go to bed without combing his hair. I mean, he's, you know, it's just a different, <laughs> Yeah. but it, it's just a different thing, right? So in terms of what the writers are trying to say, I think they're definitely getting at also this idea of pretending to be something you're not because there's a there's a kind of a key scene in the middle of the episode where van says to earn and she, like this whole time she kind of knows that he's right to be looking down on everything that's going on but she needs his support and she says can't we just for once pretend to be somebody we're not you're very good at it alluding to the fact that he's that he's probably betrayed her in a bunch of different uh, a bunch of different times and after that, like that kind of makes him fully commit to the, you know, the act at that point. And that's like the moment where they're both now trying to, you know, they're both on the same team. They are going to try to make it through this party, make everybody love them. That, but it's also where Van starts to go over the edge, like where she starts drinking more. It's where she starts to feel. So just as he's kind of on board, she starts to, I don't know. What do you think, Lauren, what do you think is going through Van's mind towards the second half of the episode as even when things are going well, she just has to excuse herself and she just keeps drinking and drinking and drinking. She has a conversation with the hostess, which is a turning yeah. point. Like, yeah, all this money. I know. OK, so you got this guy, you got all this money. But do you and she says the words and it's awesome. She goes, do you have anybody that you can confide in? Do you have anybody that you can be real with? Is yeah. there any reality anywhere basically in your life? Right. And she realizes that's what she really wants. And she's known that's what she's wanted all the time. Um, and when he says all the things she's wanted to hear to those friends, and that's when she splits. Because he says, well, you know, actually, she's been the provider. And he was, he was being honest, but he was being his asshole self. But he was being honest, right? Yeah, I think so, right. too. Yeah. And she finally heard, in my brain, just because I've been her in that instance, She's finally heard what she wants to hear and and she's finally she at some point had given up on him and realize, realizes how much she wants him. And then she goes in the bathroom and has this moment with herself, you know. Um Yeah. She says to him at that moment, You're being mean. Yeah. Like you're, you're mean. You're being mean. You're and bringing me you're reeling, reeling me back in, you jerk. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause at first at first I was like, I thought that she she thought he was being completely disingenuous. And that's why she was saying, why are you being mean? Uh -uh. But I think it's just that you're being mean because you're making me like you right now. Yeah. Like yeah. you're making me realize that we, this that is you what are I've somebody. always wanted. This is who you could be. We could be yeah. this. To, yeah. Mm. That yeah. was a, that was, yeah. And we didn't, I didn't mention in the synopsis, but the episode starts with him waking up in some Somebody random else's bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, can you imagine having to pick up your like the person who's supposed to be your partner from like some floozies? Like, <laughs> well, the thing is that almost made it easier, right? 
Yeah. It makes right. it easier for you to not want to be with somebody if you're picking them up from yeah. Hoella's yeah. house. I <laughs> <laughs> like when she's like, are you high? He's like, not really. Not, not really. Not really. <laughs> right. Uh, which was true. Like, I think he had taken like a couple of hits uh, in bed that morning. And yeah. then, but he was not then really realized, high. Yeah. He's not as high as he needed to be for that party. He was jolted into a like, oh, shit moment. Shit, that's right. Yeah. He, he sobered up real quick. This episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you by NordVPN. VPN is a virtual private network. It gives you a secure, encrypted tunnel for all of your online traffic to flow. And NordVPN is one of the fastest that's out there, if not the fastest. It has servers in 59 countries, over 5,000 servers. It allows you to unlock Netflix or other streaming services by making it seem like you are where you are not. In fact, right now I have uh, NordVPN installed on my computer. It lives in the little menu tray on my Mac. I click on it and I can easily choose uh, to either connect quickly to the fastest server around or I can choose whatever country I want. It's uh, Albania, Argentina, Australia, Austria, Belgium, Bosnia, Herzegovina. I don't know why you would want to log in from Bosnia, Herzegovina, but it's there for you. It allows you to browse with peace of mind, knowing that your traffic is safe when you're on a public Wi-Fi system, and it lets you have peace of mind that your ISP isn't tracking you because NordVPN doesn't log a damn thing. It's That's the whole point. It does not allow anybody to have the ability to know where you've been and what you've been doing. It has 24-7 customer support if you have any issues with it um, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. And with one subscription, it allows you to have up to six simultaneous connections. So I have it on my iPhone and my iPad and on two desktop computers. It's compatible with most operating systems, not just Mac, Windows, Linux, iOS, Android. So if you want to give yourself the advantages and the peace of mind that comes from having a VPN that's secure and that's fast, um, and you're one of our listeners, go to nordvpn.com slash verybadwizard. And for every purchase of a two-year plan, you'll get four additional free months. So go to nordvpn.com slash vbw and use our coupon vbw at checkout. Our thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Tamla, the, the thing you're talking about, like the the being who you are, like this authenticity, there is something, and Lauren, I don't know if you pick up on this in just this one episode, but throughout the series, I feel like Ern's character, he's always struggling with this, and he, as a defense, he seems to uh, want to be s- sort of superior to everybody. Like when he's just with like the, the hip-hop people and Paperboy. He's a little detached. He's like, I'm not you. I'm not, you know, like he did go to Princeton for a few years. Right. right? So he didn't graduate, but he went to Princeton. He didn't graduate. But he's also that way around everybody. He's really struggling, I think, to, to figure out who he is. I think that's the, one of the trajectories, uh, like the arc of his story is he doesn't quite know who he is. He just knows who he doesn't want to be, maybe. Right. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Does he fit into every mold? Like, does he fit into everywhere he goes? Is he chameleon-like or... Or he kind of does, but also doesn't. Like he fits. Yeah. He he he. There's a way in which he fits in, in that he he's smart enough and like socially agile enough that he can fake it or just adapt to his surroundings. But he never fully feels like he fits in with any crowd. I think that's that's my sense, and I think that's also true of Van to some extent. She's trying yeah. to figure out 
where, you know, what, what she's about. You know, Donald Glover strikes me as this in real life. You see this, um, he knows that he's charming and likable and that, that he can turn any group of people to be on his side, but he kind of resents it. Like if you see him being interviewed about stuff, he's not comfortable. I mean, part of it, I think he's, he's actually shy. Like he's actually shy, but, but it really seems to be that he almost resents his ability to, to please everybody. And this show is showing us more of his reactions about like his own, like he doesn't like himself um, in, in this weird way, but he's clearly loved by anybody he's around, I think, because the guy is just a likable. And that's why he can get out away with consistently throughout this episode saying some sarcastic, sarcastic mean shit, right? Horrible. <laughs> just, yeah, but he t- the thing is, is he tells the truth almost. Right, he tells yeah, the truth and yeah. all of his sarcasm and all of his things that he's saying, but they're ta- choosing to take it the way they want to take it because he's right. likable, right? And I, exactly. I get that because as the talent, and I can say this more now because I'm not the quote-unquote talent anymore, as a talent, people want to like you, they want to please you, they want you to keep being the talent, and they want to keep seeing you the way they want to see you. And right. especially now I'm older, right? Now I'm in my mid-50s, and... I don't want to be all those different people. It's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. I did it. I did it for easily 25 years. I did that. Yeah. And it's, it's tiring. Did you feel like your, your pose, the, whatever you were trying to present to people, was that like seeping into like your identity to the point where like, it was hard to tell like what was the pose and what wasn't, or did you always have a good sense of just who you were and what the mask was? Absolutely not. I did not have a good sense of who I was. I had to fire the sugar plum fairy to become me, almost, right? I had to literally go, okay, you need to, you are, first of all, you've retired. (laughs) You're not dancing anymore. And you haven't danced for 13 years. And you're not the sugar plum fairy. And you really never were. Figure out, and now I had to figure out who I was. And unfortunately, a, a number of things happened that were not that great to make me get there. But um, I think I'm there now for sure. I mean, I'm just pretty much me in all of the different circles. But it's not easy to just be you when you're in front of people, in, in yeah. front of a lot of people in a certain way. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you specifically as a performer. It's a, it's a, a career that is built on hiding who your identity as anything else other than the performer. I don't know. It's funny that you say that because actually you're a performer too. When you get in front of a class, you are putting your, you're, you're vulnerable. You're putting yourself out. It's the same thing. I swear to you. It's the same thing. It's just, I'm doing it for maybe 2,600 and something people and you might be doing it for 50, right? That's the difference. Um, and you're getting to be yourself and talking about a certain subject. And I should be being myself in becoming this role of whatever it is. And you are to a certain extent, but it's just a vulnerable place to be. And the thing is, um, I'm a people pleaser and a little bit of a, a codependent, which is good in a way, because then I'm going to do my best to be my best at make, having you believe I'm whoever it is I'm supposed to be. It's jacked up in a way because then you you might not be able to not be that. When you go home, you're yeah. confused, right? So you drink. <laughs> and then, I mean, you, you do different things. And that's, um, it's unfortunate yeah. that, that 
that sometimes doesn't end so well. Right. It's you, a strain. You see the strain on, in Van, right? Like oh, she is just struggling. Like, that's why she's drinking. And, and when she has that scene with herself in the mirror, you can just see the stress and she, like she it's tearing her apart and she feels like she can't abandon the, the act now because, of, you know, she's already betrayed some core principles she has anyway. But then at the same time, it's just almost too much to bear for her. And that's when she just goes, you know, just starts chugging uh, vodka. <laughs> yeah. Cranberry. Her turning to alcohol in that moment is like, yeah. it's like such a perfect microcosm of like what, what life might feel like, you know, you, uh, Lauren, when you were talking about being a people pleaser, um, it, it reminded me of that the, just a little brief scene in this episode where um, the hostess tells the young servers, the, the black women who are who are serving to smile because this isn't an orphanage. Right. And it's there's so much going on there. There is the class difference. There's the 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 uh, what it means to be a woman. Like that, where you ha you got to you better smile. Like this is right. not you got to be. You know, there's so much there. In fact, like my mind is reeling from all of the different this this episode. Just as one about identity and authenticity is just so. There's so much here in every character. Is there's something that's going on with their identity? So right? that's like the minister. With I guess that's the minister's <laughs> wife. I'm assuming, and he's we don't know. She never talks. Stuff. She never talks. And she right. looks at him like, are you Negro? Are you kidding me? I mean, I swear to God, <laughs> yeah. that's what she's saying. And he's going on and on about, I'm going to help you with your finances and how to treat your wife and all this other kind of stuff. <laughs> treat she, your woman. Treat your woman. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's. And he's talking about how she she was going to want someone with a good body or something like that. Oh and I'm like looking at him and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and then the woman's like. <laughs> and oh. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, he. Yeah. If there's a purely unsympathetic character, maybe it's the hostess of the party, the woman. And, and I don't know if you guys agree with this, but um, it seemed like she, in some ways, was the most authentic. She knew who she was. She loved she money. She made her decision. What? Yeah. yeah, she made a she decision, made and this is, she knows her husband. What does she say about him? Like, black people is hobby shit, slam poetry, yeah. <laughs> Martin reruns. <laughs> told, he told my 95-year-old grandma that she was making her collard greens wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's just the great lines. She, so she's in that way almost admirable in that she knows who she is and what yeah. she's done and she has no illusions about it but she's also just pretty unsympathetic as a character like very no real sense of humor no i don't know what was your impression of oh she her? was horrible yeah. I, I, all i could say was that bitch <laughs> yeah. saying, i mean she was just um but she, you're right she absolutely knew who she was. She goes, I, you know, he married the the black woman he always wanted, and da 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 da. And I got my money in this big house because I love. And then she said it because I love my money. Period. Yeah, yeah. I right? love Craig, but I love my money. Right. And at the end, she yeah. went, "Oh, you make your money with rap. Oh, lovely. Okay. Yeah. What? And and the whole <laughs> comment about shooting the house down. I mean, the whole. Yeah. She knew, um, who she stepped on to get where she was going. And who she was going to continue, and she was going to invite these people to the party. She said that to to Van in the beginning, like, "Okay, you want to do this? You can meet this person. You, I put all the right people in place. I have moved all the chess pieces where I want them. The scene is set. Go right. That was kind of yeah. her. 
And, but it's sort of interesting then that the one person who kind of knows who she is and what she's about is the least sympathetic. It maybe betrays, Dave, like what you were saying, that Donald Glover might identify with the Earn character as someone who never feels like he fully uh, fits in or knows like what kind of person he wants to be. Maybe that's a position that is that he thinks he's endorsing in some sense, that there's something yeah. bad about knowing who you are too much and not questioning it and not struggling with it. Right. And maybe all of the available identities are ones that ought not be picked up, right? <laughs> like maybe everything that is available to me to be, like to be either a sellout to the white people who are paying me to entertain them or to be a true whatever it means to be like the from the rap community, all of those are kind of whack, like decision, like options for him. So maybe there is a virtue in not knowing, virtue in struggling. Because even the white guy, the crazy black people as a hobby thing, Seems like he's struggling with his identity in a way yeah. that, that he's not entirely hateable. Like he's, he's corny as fuck. But. Yeah, I mean, I didn't hate. I mean, no, he wasn't hateable at all. He was just it's misguided. He's just like something a little wrong. <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. Poor guy. Actually, no, he's not all over the place. He's in one place that's just all over the place. But um, yeah, I think. I think Ern is more like, okay, I, I don't know who I am, but I know who I'm not. Right. I think when you said that, that was spot on with him. There, there was just one quote when she, at the end of that scene uh, that you were describing, Tamler, when, when they're talking, Van and the hosts are talking, and she says, something my husband told me, it's redundant to be both black and sorry in this world. And then there's a pause, and she's like, that's from Colored Girls. <laughs> yeah, that was actually a reference that I wanted, I didn't get. Can, do you, can you explain that, Lauren? For Colored Girls, is a it's a play. It's a a, a Broadway play, a book. That doesn't yeah. mean it's for Just, black girls. It means right, right. for Colored Girls is the name of it. But show. I but I take it it's something that he has no real business reading. Yeah, he made her read it. Yeah, but, right. Yeah, there was another one like that, Jack and Jill. The Jack, oh. uh, where they say that they're gonna, uh, you know, they're considering her for the Jack and Jill Atlanta okay. chapter. Yeah. No, I had to look this up. Okay, that's a that is a okay. So the Jack and Jill are a bougie black uh, organization, service organization, sort of, but it's really a, it's just a social organization, really. And they have a cotillion for the girls when they graduate, and they do all this kind of social stuff and you have to have a certain amount of money and you're invited in not a certain amount of money but you have to be somebody like i was invited to be a jack and jill i'm like why would you invite me to be a jack and jill well because i'm whoever it is that people think i am right it's not because it's supposed to be an honor yeah i mean i'm i'm an honorary aka alpha kappa alpha sorority so that's the first black sorority right and they always say that aka's back in the day were light skin, you couldn't be darker than a paper bag. Um, and you'd have to have long flowing white girl hair and you have to be this and you have to be that and you have to be this and you have to be that. And now of course that's changed a little, a little. But in Jack and Jill and a lot of AKAs were in Jack and Jill. So I was supposed I to be in Jack and Jill but it just didn't happen. My dad was like, uh-uh, she's at the Houston Ballet. That's enough Jack and Jill for her. She needs to be able to get along with everybody, <laughs> right? Yeah, interesting. 
Well, we should probably wrap up soon and let you go. Uh, I, a couple other thoughts that I want. I, one thing that I related to very much is not being a rich person, hanging out with rich people. It gets that awkwardness really well. Like I, I have occasions through like usually the University of Houston Honors College. They have fundraisers and I'm someone who tends to feel pretty comfortable in his own skin. But when I'm there, there is something that it does to you that is very like, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's something that I've struggled with because I feel like I should be better at it. But there's something that it does to me, you know, at a deep psychological level that's that's hard to handle. And I think that 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 this episode, separate from all the race dynamics, just gets that aspect of it right too. the the poor people or not rich people in this stratosphere of wealth that it's like you can't, you're not, here's what it is. It's like when I'm talking to the people, I can't connect with them. Like we're not on the same wavelength. My jokes aren't funny to them. They're, whatever they're saying just seems ludicrous to me and and I can't make, I can't smooth it over. I can't make it right. I don't know. So that was that's my at least my my shit um, when it's it comes to those that things. It's funny you say that because I used to feel that way going to ballet parties, um, and now that I'm on boards with all of these ballet board members for different reasons, I'm on the board because I'm all about access to arts for kids and and um, in underserved communities. So I'm on a lot of boards now. Um, Texas Cultural Trust, Houston Arts Alliance, blah, blah, blah. and a lot of these people have ballet board members, presidents of ballet boards and all this. But yeah. I've gone to parties with them for years because I was a right. dancer in the company, blah, blah, blah. And I felt weird and hoped that other dancers would be there and sectioned off with them. Yeah. But now, because I'm comfortable in my own skin and I'm a little bit like Earn, a little yeah. bit, um, not pretending to be someone's husband, but just smart assy yeah um i have more fun with it right because yeah. but i think i'm also allowed to because of the person that they think i am right? yeah right. right yeah so yeah, yeah interesting it is interesting but i've i've had uh similar experiences tamler to what you're saying where you know just at the university level, like there's, you know, rich donors who come in and there's fancy parties. And if the president invites yeah. you to a party or something, yeah. or in some cases I've been, I have friends who teach at business schools and they'll invite me to do some shit with some rich person. Right. And so I've like, this is how I met Jeffrey Epstein. Right. Like this. <laughs> um, that's a whole nother story. That's a, Lauren, that's a whole, that's a whole sorted but, story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and I've always felt uncomfortable, but the most uncomfortable I felt, weirdly, is in circumstances where I started to feel comfortable and I realized it. So, like, for example, like, I've you at first you're like, wait, this is weird to have people serving me. I don't, I don't like it. I'm not used to it. Or, like, yeah. it's weird that, that uh, the valet person wants to take my bag. I can carry my own bag. Like, all that weird rich people shit. And then I remember one time thinking... No, I like it when they carry my bags. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. What have I become? <laughs> um, I, I can say, okay, I have to retract my statement. Because when I get around academics, I feel like a five-year-old, like the only five-year-old at an adult party. Right? I will say that. Yeah. And it right. was a little intimidating coming here today. But I know Tam 
And I'm telling you, this yeah. is different. <laughs> Good. So, we would so, hate to be like at normal academics. That would be. Yeah, yeah this I is not. Yeah. You guys are not what I was expecting. Hopefully that's the only reason people listen to us because if we were normal academics. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk, before we let Lauren go, can we just talk about the poetry slam? Because that's maybe one of my favorite scenes in all of TV. <laughs> well, the first time I heard the poetry, okay, so I watched it twice. Uh-huh. And the first time I heard the poetry slam, I was so interested in what he was going to say that I didn't hear what Ern was hearing. Ern was hearing, da and i'm just listening to what he's saying so i'm like this is ridiculous i didn't really get it until i watched it was relating jim crow to poltergeist uh and being like trapped in the crow is a ghost like trapped in the tell yeah it was so and he captures something that is uh yet another thing which is people who are really bad at art but have enough money to do it Right. Like, <laughs> and, and people have like listened to it, like his painting of like some like jacked black guy, like stabbing an eagle or some weird shit, but it's bad. It's just a bad painting and it doesn't belong in that room with all the other things. And then everybody is around him listening to him. And you're like, the only reason people would ever listen to his art is like, cause he's rich, right? Cause <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so any final thoughts, Lauren? That you wanted to hit on before we before we end. One thing I will say is, um, uh, every culture has that. What we witnessed for that Juneteenth thing, every culture's got yeah. it, right? And, Absolutely. And um, the beautiful thing is, is that we can laugh about it. Yeah, there's and, so many good. And, like we haven't even talked about the play that the woman. Um, this is right <laughs> after. Oh my goodness, the play. The, she was on the sofa. They were talking on the sofa. Oh my God. <laughs> the, the two, uh, two gangbangers <laughs> hold a stripper and a pastor and, and someone oh. else hostage during Hurricane Katrina. During Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> and then Ern goes like, oh, that's, that's quite a situation. What's good is it shows us how ridiculous we think. Not necessarily how ridiculous yeah. we are, but how ridiculous yeah. we think about things. Yeah. And then why do you think they, Van is so, wants to, as they leave and earn snaps and he starts kind of telling people what he really thinks of them, uh, which is also kind of a funny scene because he just, once he gets started, he can't stop. Even as they're leaving, he's like, this is a weird, this is a weird place. This is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But then when she tells him to pull over and they are going to have sex, uh, unless you're Dave and think that they're just going to like <laughs> look, get to second, second base, base or something. Second base. Like, uh, <laughs> why, why do you think Van uh, does that, Lauren? I don't know they got they got to a special place those two, I think by the end of it all, I think they kind of got to a place where they actually met in the middle, and are in agreement yeah. with one thing with with that, right? And they're, um, I don't know, facing all the crap that's gone on, and of course she's a little inebriated. I think um, she loves him. He they they have feelings for each other. Now, how they work through that, I don't know, because I haven't seen episode 10. Or what happens after that, I don't know. But um, they definitely came into agreement that, yes, you're right, this is all whack. <laughs> but I think what started he, that he, was he, the, the valet guys. 
when they would right, recognize. Right, right, right. Oh, that's another great scene. <laughs> uh, why do you have your sister's <laughs> underwear? Your sister's you underwear. never know. You never know. You never know. Never get, know paper boy, get paper boy in my sister's underwear. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she Lord. he rescues her kind of because she needed somebody to just finally make it stop. You know, yeah. she couldn't. She was pot committed at that point. I think yeah. she needed him to just do something that she initially told him he didn't. She didn't want him to do, but then realized this is like a release from the. St- this is our way strain. out of this. This is how we're getting yeah. out of this by letting them know who you really are. Yeah, which is yeah. the last thing yeah. I want them to know. He took one cool. for the team to get her out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. This was fun, and thank we you. really appreciate yeah. you coming on the podcast. Keep, keep watching because we do bonus episodes like on like TV shows sometimes. And if you keep watching and you have an Atlanta show episode that you want to talk about. Because yeah, now we'll, you know how fun we are. Yeah. Um, come back. Come back and talk yeah. to us about it. I'll come back anytime. We'll definitely do it. Right. Anytime, Lauren. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much. And join us next time on Very Bad Wizards.